and welcome to another rousing edition of Trending Topics with BB. I am your humble host, Brooke Brown, hence the BB. Well, welcome back to this exciting new episode of Trending Topics with BB. And uh, first and foremost, before I even get into housekeeping, as I like to call it, I if you hear background noise during this intro, it is my fan. It is quite uh, nice to have a fan and not have the air conditioning on. Uh, but I digress. Now on to the housekeeping news. Uh, if you have not logged on to TrendingTopicsWithBBPodcast.com, well, why don't you do that? Uh, we have an official professional podcasting website up, courtesy of Squarespace, which is not quite a sponsor, but maybe you will hear that in the future. Uh, again, this podcast can be found on pretty much any podcasting platform out there on the net. Uh, speaking of, if you are on iTunes or actually Apple Podcasts now, Stitcher, and Google Podcasts, all of the above, uh, please leave a favorable rating and comment. And that goes for anybody wherever you're finding this. Uh, if you are listening via SoundCloud, MixCloud, TuneIn, Player.fm, Spotify, well, if you're on Spotify, Leave us a comment on our social media or website. But if you are anywhere else that uh, ratings and comments can be found, that would be helpful. Even if you actually fucking hate this podcast, uh, comments are welcome and ratings are welcome regardless because it helps other listeners see the podcast uh, due to how things have been in podcasting thus far. Now that uh, the housekeeping is done, I want to get you this episode of the podcast um, in time for Halloween. Um, I guess we're less than 24 hours away from Halloween. Um, But uh, I wanted to get this podcast episode out um, because it was a really great conversation. Uh, I met this wonderful gal... Uh, as she is a female comic, we talk a bit about that. We talk a bit about how we met. She was uh, one of the feature acts for Craig Gass at the Tempe Improv uh, a couple months back. And we connected on social media and all this stuff. And long story short, I love female comics, so I bring that up. And then our conversation kind of steers into mental health, which I didn't know it was going to go down that route. Uh, people who listen to this podcast know that I'm very open about my struggle with mental health. Uh, so it was a great conversation. I feel like we covered a lot of bases. I really hope you enjoy my chat with Amy Blackwell. Today's sponsor is Audible.com, who has more than 180,000 audiobooks and spoken word audio products. Get a free audiobook of your choice at www.audibletrial.com slash trendingtopicswithbeebe. Well, I'm glad we were able to do this. I appreciate you wanting to be on my podcast. <laughs> of um, course. Um, so, yeah, I'm, if you haven't noticed, I'm kind of a comedy nerd. Comedy nerd. I wouldn't say comedy nerd. I'd say fan. Okay. But whatever. I mean, you know, I've tomato, gotten, tomato. <laughs> I've, well, in college, I was really, in, there was this improv troupe that I, and I went every Tuesday night. It was like my getaway from homework. and Yeah. And... So I really started getting into what improv was, but then it wasn't until actually after I graduated college. I, Not that I wasn't aware of stand-up, mm-hmm. 
but I started getting more into stand-up. Yeah. And I think before the whole Netflix special every week happened, mm-hmm. um, I was aware of it from, like, old DVDs and, and yeah. clips that my parents would show me. Like, I old Richard Pryor and stuff like that. stuff. Like, late night Saturdays, yeah. there would be different shows of, like, different showcases of comics, and I would watch that, and I would see people, like, you know... Uh, like Brett Butler and and Kevin Meany and just these random like yeah. ten minute five ten minute sets and um, yeah so that's where but yeah DVDs you'd have to go rent them right like you'd rent a special you know like and prior to YouTube we didn't have all the clips or them no. uploaded so it was like whether or not you caught it or, or found s- it yeah and I had, my folks had some stuff on VHS I mean it mm-hmm. was like er- early Eddie Murphy stuff like I think they had Ron Raj nice. and like. Like, there was stuff, and I, it, they would show me clips that wasn't necessarily, like, I was so young, they didn't want to, like, show me all of it. Right. Of course, right? Of course. But then as I got older, it didn't really matter. But, right. Um, I really started, I just, I, I, I like the, the art of it, because a lot of people take it for granted, I think, because it's become so ingrained in our culture. Right. They don't... It's so available now that, like, I don't know that, that people re- realize, like, the, how much work there is to put into comedy in order to, you know, like, like people are, are satisfied with just downloading something or, you know, watching it on Netflix or whatever, and they don't realize, like, the, it's the people coming to the live shows for the years and months and, and whatever to support the comics that get them to the point where they have a Netflix special. Right. So it's like, there's so much that goes along with it. It's like so much effort, so much time that's put into one of those specials and, you know, and it's so great that it's so available to people, but at the same time, I think they don't realize like, right. Oh, I've got, there's, I've got to respect this a little bit more. <laughs> right. And you, and if you're, if you don't live in, live in a city with a comedy club, Right. I wouldn't know what that experience is like. I mean, honestly, right. I've lived here. I'm a native to Arizona, but I've lived yeah. in Phoenix for well, that's a long time. One thing I've noticed on the road is like those places without comedy clubs. When they have a comedy show once every few months or something, like a comedy show comes to town, they're packed out. The people are so happy to be there. They are the easiest audiences because they are so starved for real entertainment that's live like that. That man, it's it's actually great. So the the appreciation in smaller towns is actually bigger. Than it is when they have would, a comedy because they club. don't have it. It's not all available yeah. and around. So it is interesting how though it. I really like. I, I would love to do you know small town Nebraska at the at, you know Cody's bar. I think it is Saturday night. We are putting a comedy show together because those people really want to see it. Well, and I don't know. Maybe it's from stories I've heard on other podcasts, but yeah, in cities like that, it are. Is it because people are used to seeing, like, open mics and, like, not to say that... You know, it, part of it could be that. I, it's actually, it's, I, I really feel like in the city, people, there's so many things they could be doing, you know. So they, they, the idea of going to, like, a comedy show and not having kind of a jaded, like, all right, entertainment, because there's so much entertainment. They could go to a play. They could go to a movie. They could go to an art film. They could go to an art exhibit. They could go to a beer fest in the park. So when there's that many things to choose from, they're going to be a little bit pickier, I think, about what they allow themselves to be entertained by, which is a little pretentious and obnoxious, but, you know, it just kind of comes along with having overexposure to so much stimulation. So there's so much entertainment in a city versus just a, you know, uh, like, like I said, small town, you know, middle, right. middle of middle of the America and, you know, where people, it's like, well, we work all day and then we have TV and that's really it. 
you know, maybe a movie theater nearby. But they don't have art surrounding them at all times. So I think it's just the expectations for comedy in a city or higher. You know, and it could be open mics. It could be like like they've gone to a show and been like, oh, right, that that was terrible. And it's an open mic, so of course it's terrible. But <laughs> right, so maybe so when like somebody mm. that they're aware of had, um, being established and and mm-hmm. they're like, oh, got to jump on that show because we don't get it very often. Right, right, exactly. Yeah, I mean it's it is interesting. I, I wish there was more of a not respect because I think people respect comedy. To a degree, I wish there was more. With with stand-up, one of the weirdest things is, like, getting paid for it. You know, people don't want to pay for comedy. And it's like, you'll pay to go see a movie. You'll, you'll pay to go into a museum or see art. But, I, I mean, we are, we are probably, the, like, the one profession where people ask us to do stuff for free all the time. Yeah. You know, you don't try to hire a band and say, like, hey, it's my daughter's quinceanera. I want to hire you. But, uh... Could you do it for free? Like, yeah, no. Sure. <laughs> yeah, we we do a lot of free stuff, and it's because I guess there's so many people trying to do comedy, and there's such a it's such a, it takes such a long time to get to a point where you're actually good at it and payable. You know that it, there's there's got to be those things that we do for free in order to work up to it. But it's once you've worked up to it, it's like okay, well now I need to get paid, and it, everyone's like, yeah, but you'll do it for free. You proved it for the last four years. You did it for free. Oh, uh, yeah, but now I deserve to get paid. Yeah, the people don't, they don't connect that. <laughs> that that's, I, I, that's interesting yeah. because it is, not to put it in layman's turn, but you are there, like you mentioned, to see some sort of entertainment mm-hmm. that kind of is service. Right. Air quotes on that word. But you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I don't understand why there's such a disconnect with people in like... Trying to figure out, oh, you deserve to be paid for right, yeah. telling jokes or something. I guess because well, people assume that they're funny well, all the by time. By the time you get good enough to be paid, you it, it looks easier than it is. You make it look easier than it is. Right. You know, but that that's the problem. It's like, it's not easy. Like, it's been years doing this. I also had to suffer through my own life <laughs> to get here before the material. So, like, you, you need to just to pay me some dollars, man. Right. So along those lines, how did you get into stand-up? I got into stand-up, let's see, I was 22, no, 23. I had just turned 23. I had given birth to my second son. He was about five months old. And I was living in my hometown of Kingman and uh, just, you know, trying to take care of two kids, single mom. And um, I had gone to see a band that I really liked, a local band in, in town called Vision, they were playing at this old bar there that I used to go to when I had just turned 21. And um, we went to go watch the band. And in between sets, they were like, oh, there's, you know, the DJ. Give it up for the DJ Brian. He's actually a comedian, but don't hold that against him. And so I, I went over to the door and I saw there was a sign for it. Because I noticed that they were going to do stand-up comedy on, like, Thursdays. And I was like, oh, man, we got to come to one of these. Right. Because I loved watching stand-up. I'd always loved watching stand-up. And I was always funny. And people had said stuff to me like oh you should do stand-up and somehow it never dawned on me that it was an actual viable possible choice so I never even considered it I never even like thought oh that's what I want to do when I grow up it was just like a yeah the comics they're in LA they're in New York I, this is Kingman right you know, you know it didn't even dawn on me that there was some possible path to that so I go up to the DJ and I thought he was cute and so I was actually just hitting on him and I was like, oh, you're a comic. And he was like, yeah. And I go, do you run that sh- the show, you know, on Thursdays? And he goes, yeah. 
I was like, cool, cool. And he was like, oh, do, you know, do you, uh, you say so you like comedy? And I go, oh, yeah. And I was like, I've always wanted to be a stand-up. And I, it wasn't true. Except it was as soon as I said it. I was right. like, oh, weird. That came out. And all of a sudden, some truth was behind it. And I was just trying to make small talk to this guy that I thought was cute. And he was like, oh. He's like, do you have any material? And I was like, yeah. Which is another lie. <laughs> and he's like, well, come back next week and, like, run the material for me. And if I like it. He's like, put together a three-minute set. You know, next week, come in. You'll run the material for me. If I like it, I'll put you up. If I, you know, if it needs work, I'll, I'll give you some tips. And I was like, all right. And then all of a sudden, I was like, okay, I don't know what just happened. I cock-blocked myself by interest in comedy, I guess. And so, like, I went home and was like, what did I, what was I talking about that was making my friends laugh and da-da-da. And I put together that three-minute set. I came in the next week, and he was there with a couple other comics. And, um, and he made me just stand there in front of the booth and, like, do the material. So I was, like, telling the jokes. And they were sitting there with no expression on their face. And I'm like, oh, God, this is, like, horrifying and hard. But I had heard that, like, auditions were like that. And I was like, all right, well, okay, I'm just going to keep talking. I got about a minute and a half in, and he was like, all right, stop. And I was like, oh, no, you know, like, hated it. And he goes, whatever you got left to do it tonight, that was great. And I was like, oh, shit, okay. So I went up that night, and there was, you know, it wasn't a huge crowd. It was, like, maybe 20, 25 people in the room. And they, I got a few laughs. And so then he was like, all right, so um, I want you to come back next week with five minutes of material. And so I wrote a whole new five minutes, came and I did that as a guest spot. The next week, he just had me come and hang out and um, just watch the show because it was a couple uh, ladies that he wanted me just to um, watch. And um, it, it was a really awesome. Actually, my new my new roommate in Vegas is one of these ladies. Like, it was. That's awesome. Yeah. So I met uh, uh, Pam Ludwar and Tanya Lee Davis, and um, and they gave me the best comedy advice I could have ever gotten, which was write what makes you laugh instead of like contriving material, thinking what's right. going to make an what's audience forced. laugh or what are the yeah, yeah because you're connected to it when you when it's something that humors you. So I always kind of held on to that advice, but so then like the third, the week after that, he, he had told me, he was like, write seven minutes. Well, I didn't realize that you could just write on top of your three, add two more, write on top of your five, add two more, just you keep know, building on a, right. on a set. He, uh, so I'm writing all new sets. And so like five, six weeks in, he goes, I want you to host tonight with, with your 15 minutes. And I was like, all right. Cause at that point I had 15 minutes and he goes, by the way. You could have just added two minutes to each of those sets. He goes, but I didn't want to tell you that because you were writing so much. Like, and it was good. I was like, oh, all right, cool. And so I ended up getting paid. Um, my first paid gig was like six weeks into comedy, which I should not, I didn't deserve. I shouldn't have gotten. But um, I was the comedy scene in Kingman. So I guess it wasn't like I had the ability to pay my dues there. Right. But I learned how to run shows and, and stuff from that guy. Um, oh, side note, we did hook up. Well, that's, I, how, well, that's what that's, you do. You know, yeah. I'm a rock star. So, you know, I well, thought he was cute. in a cute. small town. I know. What are you gonna, what are you he didn't do? even live there. That's He lived in Vegas. He would come down and do the shows. And so we ended up partnering up um, on the show. And, like, I helped him produce it, you know, and, and get stuff done for it. And then he, um, eventually we stopped doing the show there. And I moved to Vegas for a little bit. That was in 2001. Um, I was in Vegas. It was, like, a year into comedy. And... Um, then September 11th happened and the economy in Vegas was like shot to shit. So I ended up moving back to Kingman for a few months and then I ended up down in Southern Arizona where I ran a show for about three years based on just what I'd learned working with, uh, with that guy. 
and that was the starts of comedy for for me but it was more production side of things like I had my show and I would I would host it so I was always writing material and you know and I was funny but I wasn't really being challenged in comedy um to be really good or to 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 speak my truth or to you know I wasn't developing any kind of voice I was just hosting the show and um I eventually got kind of just I don't know disheartened by it and had a mental breakdown and I quit for like five years and then I got back into it in like uh, late 2009 and then I moved up here in 2010 to Phoenix um and then just like a month ago I moved to Vegas but it's been pretty non-stop like work on comedy and get better get get a voice get it you know uh figure it out at that point so yeah that's those are my comedy origins now I am a comedy x-men and nice. my movie comes out next year that's awesome <laughs> I wish ironically I, wish I, I lived in Vegas mm-hmm. I moved there for after college I went to U of A okay uh, and uh, I moved there and 2010, 2000, like the mm. worst time to move to Vegas. Yeah. But I moved there with a job. I was going to be a promoter. Yeah. For the club scene there. And nice. Got laid off right after I moved. Good times. But. Yeah, that's rough. <laughs> but um, it's just interesting because I, I don't necessarily hate Vegas. I just, right. the timing was off. For me too. Like I, I never considered moving back to Vegas. I really wasn't, this wasn't the plan I had. Um, you know, cause I was like, well, you know, I don't want to make a linear move. Like if I'm going to move, I need to move to like LA or New York because it's time to make those, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then my life fell apart and I lost my, my house, well, my place to live. And then I lost my car and my name was drugged through the mud by another comic. And it was just like all hell broke loose all at once. Plus in the midst of all of that, I was in this major, um, heartbreak. And I was like, I've got to get away from everything toxic. And well, even if was it was this in Vegas, or this was recently? here. This oh, was re- here in the last like six months. Oh damn! And my friend Pam um, was like, Hey, I have a room. You know, her roommate passed away. And uh, sorry to mean to laugh about that, but like, uh, it's just ironically, it just worked out timing wise. And but her roommate passed away suddenly, and she was left with like this, you know, kind of room to fill, so she could stay in Vegas. And then I needed a place to stay. And things were really so toxic here. She was like, just come here and, you know, we'll see how it goes. And I was like, all right. So. But they have the Laugh Factory there. They have so much there. And yeah, I've I mean, it's Vegas. Been, it's the entertainment capital. It's everywhere. Yeah. I mean, like, I've gone just, I mean, like, before I was even all the way moved up there, things started just opening up for me. And bookings were coming, you know, out of nowhere. Paid bookings. And, like, um, just so much because I, and I really believe that it was just the change in my own energy. And Deciding getting to away from a toxic a yeah. and, you know, cause everything was toxic. Everything was just beating me up and I was letting it. And so just being like, nope, slough it off, be a little selfish in the sense of like, I'm not volunteering my, my time or energy or, or affection to people who don't want it. Right. And, um, or that haven't even asked for it. So it's like, I'm just doing all of that has just opened all of these doors and windows and everything. Um, because just bookings are coming, you know, left and right. I'm, I'm selling my merch at shows. Everything's just like kind of, it sounds super, super silly, but everything's coming up roses right now. And it's, and I know it's not just, not because of the move so much as allowing myself to just change my own energy and get away from that's just a toxic thought process. And I, I can't stress that enough. Like we are fucked up as comics, um, anyway in our brains you know so we're 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 narcissists but we're self-loathing and we tend to live in chaos and 
and people attribute the chaos and the tragedy and everything to the comedy. Well, of course that adds to it, but we don't have to succumb to the toxicity of it. We don't have to poison ourselves with it and let it overtake us. But like, I think that's not comedy exclusive. I think that's anything. I've I think that's through, art. Art. Uh, yeah. You know, I've been very, through a lot of shit in my life cause I have, um, music is like my other love yeah. and, um, Sometimes you get, you're so passionate about something. It's creativity. Yeah. yeah. Creativity, definitely. I feel like the most creative people are the most messed up. Yeah. And it doesn't, it doesn't mean that like, I'm not fixed by any means. I like, I'm going to still have tragic things, but I don't, I don't have to like stoke the flames of my addiction to chaos. Right. Like I can actually say, oh no. Okay. I see where that's going. But now because I've, I've, I've been doing comedy long enough. I know how my mind, how my jokes work. I know what my voice is. And so I can stand outside of the tragic situations and apply the joke without going through that process of, of mental mind fucking. Right. (laughs) Which is nice. Which is nice. And I'll still find myself in a crazy situation constantly but I'm not as uh I'm not it's almost like I'm not I'm not asking for it I'm not seeking it out as much right anymore because of the change in attitude (laughs) right so obviously we met because I was came to the improv came to the improv when I was with Skippy yeah and Mark Price yeah or was it with I think it was Mark Price I think that was who I was on or maybe it was the Colin Kane show last year no it was it was like a couple, few months ago, wasn't it? Um, oh, Craig Gas. Yeah, Craig Gas. No, I think that wasn't that the second time we met. I thought we met at the Mark Price show. Maybe I don't know. Either way, we all reconnected at the yeah. at the Craig Gas show. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. what I love is that because I guess not to pull this card, but I, <laughs> I, I love when I see female comics. Yeah. Because, not to be like all feminist about it, but I, I just it's so rare. It, it is. Well, and it's, I, I love you, when I see a really good female comic and you just, you don't, it doesn't matter you that get she's that female. point of view though. You get the point of view, but it's not, you know, it's not like, cause sometimes you'll see, you know, a female will come out on stage and you'll be like, all right, cool girl power. And then she'll say some stuff and you go, oh, she's not funny. Oh, yeah. I've, had, I've seen that too. And you go, dang it. You know, and, but it, it's more, it's almost more heartbreaking for us as women as it is. Because that stigma is there, right? And it's because there's so few of us in comedy that when we're bad, it really sticks out. Well, maybe that's you know, what it is. Because I've so many... seen really good and I've seen really bad. Like... And you see that same ratio of it with guys. It's, it's just because just... more guys, it's like you know that someone's going to be funny eventually. You know, right. and so you just kind of. But you also don't necessarily remember the really funny one in the group of guys. But you'll remember the really funny girl. That's but you'll true. also remember the really bad girl. <laughs> that's too, true. But there's not as many. Well, because, ironically, like, I follow Elijah Schlesinger, and I yeah, follow yeah. Nikki Glaser and mm-hmm. all of them. I and love I think, Nikki Glaser. And I just love, I just love, I've heard them on a lot of their podcasts mm-hmm. and other podcasts. I just love that, outside of the comedy, they're, they're strong, independent women, right? Yeah. And, that, and I find that in com- comics, like, female comics are like that, which yeah. is, like, I like, because you see so much stuff out there that seems very contrived or fake and when and like and then you think especially in the entertainment industry oh for sure and then it's very shallow (laughs) and then when um you're like okay yeah somebody is talented but then how are they as a person and then you find out oh okay it it 
it kind of it when you helps. see the strength that that yeah. some of the women in comedy carry, and it's a part of it. It's like that's there's no way a weak person, weak minded, weak weak willed can survive in this industry. Right. So it takes a strong and and I don't want to I don't want to use any kind of like disparaging words because I, I'm trying to make it like the impact is that we're strong and we're, we're fearless and and we have balls bigger than most most dudes to do this because the, the biggest fear out there is public speaking so anybody yeah. that wants to be in front of people right it, there's definitely something you know ridiculously like ballsy about that but for women yeah it's it's not a typical everyday trait people attribute to the feminine mystique you know most most women are more subdued most women are more demure um we're softer our skin is softer our bodies are softer and then there there's purpose but in that biologically we're stronger though but we can be stronger internally <laughs> you know right. but but there is that you know societal look at women and so there are women that are afraid to be bold and there's some that are absolutely comfortable with not being bold and there are men like that too, but none of them have a place in comedy. If you can't be bold, you can't do comedy. So there is, yeah, you've got to be independent. You've got to be a free thinker and you've got to, you got to have a pretty big set of balls to do stand up as a, you know, as a, as a woman, especially, but you know, even the dude's got to have some balls to right. there and do it. It's just, well, no, I'm not, not trying to typical. take anything away from anybody. No, and I get that. I get that. I'm just saying but it, like, it's, it's it's, it's it I guess it's up. like I don't want to be like one of those shows where you're like the rare bird. You the know what rare I mean? bird. And, but it is a rare bird. <laughs> you know? Not all women have like I'm saying that's my point is like most most women are a softer in nature and more um you know uh, not and I, I I don't want this to sound like a weird feminist like women should stay home and be in the kitchen by any means. Um it's just not not all people are that bold, but yeah. most women aren't as bold as female comics. Right. Like, they're not, not, I mean, I could talk to 50 of my girlfriends or people I went to high school with and be like, would you take this microphone and go talk to those people? And they'd be like, no, uh-uh, nah, uh You know? Now, I could, I, I maybe three of them would, you know, but I could ask 50 of my guy friends and, like, 25 of them would be like, yeah, yeah, I could do that. It's just, you know, they're... I don't know if it's that men are a little bit more fearless in that or what it is, but I don't know. But yeah, you're not wrong about us being female comics. We have to be, we have to be bold. We have to be independent. We have to be strong. I don't know. It's just maybe because I am, (laughs) I am, you know, female. Right. I I appreciate it more. And I feel, Mm -hmm. I feel, um, absolutely that it deserves respect just, but I, I also feel that kind of a, anything but yeah but it's just it's just funny because but the reason I, I was mentioning this is because I've hear I've heard on podcast I, you know obviously the internet is r- ridiculous but sometimes yeah. you you know if if Nikki or Elijah or anybody um goes up and or they're t- like I'll, I'll remember when Elijah was on Rogan's uh-huh. podcast I don't know maybe a year or two ago I don't know last time <laughs> I listened to that and then I would go through and l- look at the comments on YouTube. The hate she got. Oh yeah, just for being herself. Just for being herself, because it, it, because it, like that's the thing is like, like I said, everyone sh- it has to have that boldness in order to get on stage in the first place. Um, but with women, like we aren't 
like society doesn't see most women as that. So there's this level of either uh, intimidation because of it or, or there's something about it that puts people off because the idea is that women are quiet and, 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 you know, submissive and, and we're not all that way. So when we aren't and we're, we're bold like that, people are just like, Oh, she's just a bitch or right. she's, you know, Oh, she's just, she's just being cunty to be cunty. And it's like, no, I just have thoughts that are, um, expressible and I'm going to do that. Right. And that is intimidating to people, not just men, but women that are of that, I'm, I'm not that bold and that right. scares me. It's, it's just an intimidation and it's, just how some of us are. We're just bold people. You know, we, we don't have filters or something and we just, we'd say what we mean. Well, yeah, I guess maybe it's because our society has become such a, I'm only honest online and I'm like, and even then bullshit. Yeah. yeah, It's, I can only, you know what I mean? Like the behind closed doors, I can be real, but right. And it just, basically what that means is behind closed doors, I can be an asshole. Yeah. Instead of, like, I can be an asshole on stage, and I'm not really being an asshole, but I'm going to say the things, and so that, so there, there are people in the audience who are going, God, I think exactly like her, but I am too afraid to say it. That's, that's why they, they laugh. That's why they laugh. That's why yeah. they, they laugh, and they go, that's cool. And they don't, have, maybe not ever bring it up, but they think about it, and they might have a discussion with their boyfriend, or husband, or best friend, or whatever, as they're going home about it and be like, wow, what she said about that thing, really, you know, like, I think that same thing. And then they go, really? I thought that you would have been on the feminist side of it or, or, you yeah. know, or uh, it's being honest on stage and being that asshole in public. And it's scary because it's like, wow, I, I'm intimidated by people who are better at things than me. So like, um, if I'm watching someone dance beautifully, I'm like, I love to dance and I'm a decent dancer, but I'm watching someone dance to a point that brings me to tears it's a little scary. Like, like it's intimidating. Like I, I want to, there's a part of your nature that wants to hate them because they're better at the thing than you. Right. You know, and, and, and even if it's not better, but just willing to do it, you know, there are people that hate trans people because it's not because they don't understand what trans is. It's because they, their own insides are telling them that they are like that, but they're too afraid to go through the process. Right. And so they put hate on it. Because, because they get in their own head. So like if somebody talks shit, I have a video on YouTube that's got almost 400,000 views and I'm like, they kind of, it was a silly parody that I did of this tweaker in Walmart video. And so it was me acting like a tweaker in Walmart and it was just, it was just a parody, but it's gotten views and views and views and like comments galore and almost like I'd say half of the comments are half of, well, 60% of the comments is fake. And I'm like, duh, dipshit. It says parody. And anyway, trolls are also stupid. Yeah. Um, but the other comments that are negative, like I'll get plenty of, that's funny. She nailed it, whatever. But I get a lot of comments that are basically just fat, 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 fat. And I'm like, first of all, it's kind of the point of the video is that I'm a big girl acting like a tweaker. Mm-hmm. It's you, you're missing the irony there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but they, but that's, you know, they, what reason, what call, what need is there for those people to say the negative thing? Well, I can only, first of all, their opinion of me is none of my business. So I don't even read the comments anymore. But I realize like the reason that they're throwing that hatred out there is that there, there's a jealousy of, I did something that they wished maybe they could do. 
True. And, and it changes my perspective and I go, well, I feel sorry for them for not being both right. like I am, you know? Well, that that's 95% of the hate online. Mm-hmm. I, half the time I just laugh. It's intimidation and jealousy. You know, sometimes it's straight up like, um, I don't know, what are you, yeah, like you're offended, like legit offended by something, but yeah. most of it's just garbage. Most of it's just people mad that they're not doing what they want to do with their own life. Right. Well... Do you find in comedy, or is it just the time we're living in now? Mm-hmm. I guess it's kind of an open-ended question, but <laughs> um, people are, are we in a time where we're overly offended right now by comedy? Oh, I, I don't know if it's overly offended by comedy or if we are just overly, overly offended, offended by life, by every single thing, because we're, there's something to be said about time periods where people suffered together collectively. Countries... Where people have gone through suffering, you know, and, and had to rebuild their their communities and stuff in, in ways, however it is, whether it was a, whether they, they were in a war, whether they dealt with a, a tragic hurricane type situation or, or tsunamis, whatever. Yeah. When people go through those things collectively, there's a, I think there's a sense of community. And I think why Americans are so offended right now is there is almost no sense of community. Um, because we haven't suffered together. Now, by no means am I calling for a war, which, oh, a war will fix it. You know, that's, that's not true. But if we could, if we could figure out a way to understand that, like the suffering that we're going through right now, we are collectively suffering as a nation. Mm -hmm. We are collectively suffering because of things like mental illness, mental illness, is we we have not gotten a handle on that. We are collectively suffering. We just don't know how to be a community about it. Well, and it's funny because so personally I've, I I suffer from my own issues, mm-hmm. but what bothers me most about the conversation right now, even though more and more people are talking about it openly, yeah. It still doesn't seem like anything's being done because everybody's right. still dealing with it on their own. Like I'm well, one of it's... them myself who I've had my struggle and then then I'm not going to be the same as the next person but just like the me too movement which took which actually didn't start immediately with you know the Cosby it happened it started sooner it gained momentum because the talking continued the talking started in the community where women were going hey oh you too yeah me too like oh yeah I hate when I'm, I'm at work and a guy is just staring at my boobs and tells me to get him coffee yeah, the, those are things that we're like, oh, yeah, uh, yeah, I hate that, too. Why right. are we letting that happen to us? You know, just like that movement, like, I I suffer from mental illness. I'm very vocal about it. Most people know that. Um, I've been in the mental hospital twice. Uh, most recently was uh, about a year and a half ago. And, I just, I, and it was just a few days in the hospital, but it was, I realized I was at a point, I was so low mentally that I needed just that, that little bit of respite um, to kind of give me the tools to, to take the fight on really. And so I started, um, the, it's just hashtag I got up today and that's my, you know, I'll make a lot of posts and you'll see that hashtag. And the, that hashtag is I got out of bed and I accomplished at least one thing today. And when you suffer from mental illness, that alone is huge. Oh, I agree. Even if it's just getting up and washing the dishes from the night before and going back to bed, I did something. I got up for at least those right. brief moments. And the more you get up today, you get up and you do more and more and more. 
you know, and that's kind of the point. And then you have days where you don't get up and you go, okay, I spent a day on Pity Party Island. Uh, I only took enough snacks for once. I got to go back to the mainland and go live amongst the people. You know, you just can't get hung up in it. And I think with us talking about it more and more, I'm seeing more people like I, you know, I know that I put a lot of posts out there when I was going through it real, real hard and people would send me messages and some of them were just of straight support. Like, Oh, Hey man, I hope you're doing all right. We love you. Just wanted you to know, but most of the messages I got were, I suffer too. And you talking about it makes me feel better about my own issues. And then maybe a month or two later, I'll see them make a post that's like, Hey, I'm suffering right now. And it's that it's us talking about it with each other and loving each other through it and supporting each other and calling each other out on the bullshit when we're just using it as a ploy for attention. You know, the more we talk about it, the more we realize we are so not alone. And in fact, people without mental illness are more alone than we are. That's true. Because there are, most people have mental illness. Yeah. I think most people are just in denial. Well, they are, or they just, I mean, it's, I don't even know if it's denial or if it's just an absolute unawareness because you're living in it. You don't realize like when you get to the point of suicidal thoughts, when you get to that point where you're actually making a plan or acting it out, your brain is telling you stuff like my, my world, my community, my friends, my family, my loved ones are better off if I'm not here. Right. And you, you're convincing yourself of that throughout the process of depression and isolation. They don't need me. They're better off without me. If I just die, they can move on with their lives or they don't have to take care of me or I can't fuck things up for them. That's, or I don't have to live with this pain. And, and cause I've been there and so. we've all been in, in the situation where it's either selfish or, or not selfish. I hate when people, and I used to say it, but I hate when people say that suicide is selfish. I hate when that I attempted suicide, all I could think of the, the thought in my head constantly, it was even on the note I wrote, which was my kids are better off without me. And that is a devastating thought that I never want to have again. Right. But it, it creeps in. It creeps in every once in a while and it sucks. But that's where I have to go. That's a lie in my brain. That is a lie because of mental illness that is saying these things. People would be devastated if I died. Right. Like we had an open micer recently. He had just started. Um, one of the nicest guys when I was going through it, he had sent me messages and was like, Hey, just checking on you. Very sweet. Very nice. And I mean, when people slide into your DMS, it's almost always like uh, there's a, I'm going to come at this angle, but then I'm going to be like, so sexy. Yeah. What's been happening? <laughs> you know? And he didn't do that. Right. He was so polite and so kind and so respectful. And it was legitimately like, he was just checking on me and, um, and I didn't know him well enough to know that he was suffering. And him reaching out was his way of keeping himself in check. from, yeah. and it eventually, I guess the depression got him because he, uh, killed himself and none of us could have expected it. And it, because he let his, his mind tell him he wasn't worthy of this world or that people would be better off without him. And I was devastated and I had only probably seen the guy three times in person and had a couple conversations online and it devastated me that, and not because, oh, he was such a good close friend, but because he fell prey to the lies of depression, you know? Well, my thing, um, 
recently. I mean, I, mm. I, I'm open with mine, but ironically, yeah. I ended up in the hospital in Vegas. Mm, that's okay. That's kind of why I ended up back here. Yeah. But, yeah. um, I had a whole breakdown and, uh, mm-hmm. and so it's been a struggle ever since, right. but, but I've also been very open about it. But yeah. my thing is that this year when we, <laughs> this year was one of those years where people more and more celebrities have passed away. Yeah. And, um, and we've been honest about how they died. Yeah. Yeah. Even though there's conspiracy theories out there. Well, of course, but it's because people don't want to believe that someone really felt that way. Right. But, but what, what got me this year, especially the week that Kate Spade and then Anthony Bourdain passed away. Yeah. Yeah. Because I was a huge Anthony Bourdain, not so much Kate Spade, not that I didn't know who she was. Right. It's just, I'm not into the whole fashion world. So I'm not either, but her bags are cute. Yeah. They I are. always did. I looked, I them. just realized I had one and I didn't even realize oh, I did. so funny. Um, yeah, yeah, that was rough. That was because here are two very, very successful people, and everybody assumed. I know, I know. We knew success oh, doesn't mean we're not mentally ill, right? You know, talent doesn't mean you're not crazy. Robin Williams. Yeah, I know, know he was my favorite I, comic. He, that it, man, it broke my heart. That was the worst day of my life, and not just because he he died. There was so many other things that went along with it. That was the last thing that happened that I was like, I'm fucking done with this day forever. Right. right. And because we knew he suffered, we knew, and we all thought he had a grip on it as his fans and his, you know. Yeah, but when you're, I mean, obviously there's been more that has come has out, come sound, out. Saying since that it wasn't just the depression, it was, you know, it was he, the diagnosis. The and and him, but I guarantee you his family, his friends... They knew, they, but they knew. I guarantee you, though, they they didn't want him to go yet. You know, and I, I understand, but and, and I but I also do believe that we have a right to decide whether we continue living or not. Yeah. Um. I just the 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 saddest part is that we were we were blindsided as his fans, and had that diagnosis. Well, and come I think out. it's also because everybody assumed he was. The, his healthiest he had ever been because yeah of the, well, yeah, the, the he heart was, attacks and the right. the the, the sur- or so no, he had the open heart surgeries right. and he was sober and he had you know right everybody assumed that, that he was doing great that he was and at his that's best what it, self that's when it what happened. kills you is that when you don't know and then I think that's where that that discussion has to come out that that you know like I can I I would hate it to watch someone come out and post and be like hey guys. Here's the thing. I am going to kill myself. I have this diagnosis. I'm not going to be well. Um, I just want to say I love you and I respect you. We're all going to be absolutely upset and angry and mad that it's happening. But at least there's an, there's some honesty there. And it's like, okay, we're not questioning it. You know, and I'm not advocating kill yourself because you're depressed by any means. But I can, I can respect that. Right. You know, we, it, we do have that choice, but. Well, my thing was what I was getting at is that what made me upset mostly out of all the years I've yeah. dealt with it is this year is when that went down uh-huh. and every, you know, the outcry and the, and we have for the first something. time, no, but the first time this year mm-hmm. it, I noticed that there was more mental health shaming within our community than it was the people who 
say they don't have there, it. Yeah, I saw a lot, a lot of, of people being like, "Well, I have mental illness, and I haven't killed myself," and it be, started to become a shame within right. the community. And I was like, "And it's like everyone's mental illness is different yeah. in the first place." Yeah, but yeah, there was a lot of that. There was a lot of the um, when um, uh, who was it? The guy, the uh, was it Chester? Uh, oh, Chester Benefield. Yeah. yeah, from Lincoln Park. When somebody somebody came out and said. Um, He's in a better place, right? Yeah. Somebody said, like, he's at peace now or whatever it was. And then that created that created a big thing, you know, and it's like we all deal with with grief differently. And it's just like people being angry when someone says thoughts and prayers. Yeah, it's not. And it's only because it seems dismissive, but it's when people don't know what to say. Yeah. Well, you know, people are in shock and whatever. It's just and, like word and vomit. I want people <laughs> to think it. of me and send me positive thoughts. And I love that people tell me they're praying for me. I don't know. You know, I don't believe that the prayers themselves fall on deaf ears as far as like, you know, I don't think, I think the universe hears it. I just don't think that there's a God that's like, oh, 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 now, well, it's since you're praying, I'll take yeah. care of it. It, positive, sending positive energy out into the, into the ethos is good. Right. So thoughts and prayers are good. It is, it is lovely that someone is thinking of me and praying for me when I am in a bad way. Um, I don't ever want to be mad for someone saying that. When it when it, it's said so often, it becomes almost dismissive or not dismissive, but just the generic. Word, yeah. And I feel like that's where people are just like, we don't care enough, and it's like, well, we don't know how to express that we care, you know. Um, you know, tragic things happen and we send our thoughts and prayers because that's the only thing we can manage to do for another human being. You know, we can't necessarily send money or volunteer or, right. or whatever, but we can send positive thoughts into the, into the atmosphere. And so I feel like there should be a little forgiveness on that, you know. I, no, I agree. But, but it just, it just, to me, it was just so disheartening to be like, and that was the thing is like, even before he was, he passed away, I was mm. watching... I had already started watching Parts Unknown on yeah. Netflix because I loved that show anyway. And yeah, and then even after he's passed away, I've been watching it even more. Mm-hmm. And I go, there was one episode where he went home to where he was from. Yeah, and he blatantly talks about mental illness and what he's dealt with more than any other episode. Yeah, and it was like when people were saying, "Oh, we didn't know. We thought he was living the life." It's like. He talked about it on the show regularly. Like, yeah, it's well, like you didn't thing. pay attention. People like, don't pay attention. People, people ignore the things they're uncomfortable with. They, you know, and, and the, people speculate with Anthony Bourdain that he had just li- he was just at that point in his life where he's like, I've had a good life, and I don't want to face old age or or my body breaking down. And I'm like, I can respect that. Mm-hmm. Um. You know, I think it's still shitty because you really break so many hearts when you take your own life. But well, my thing is going for his daughter. Yeah, yeah. But we also we also can't imagine what their dynamic was. You That's know, true. we don't know. And and out of respect for the family, we don't. That's the thing is like we don't need to have an opinion. Exactly. Why do we have an opinion about somebody we don't even know? Because we're so focused on other outward things than our own inner lives, our own self-reflection, our own demons. So when people get angry and they they come at people with like mental illness or uh, or or homophobia or uh, whatever, like if when people come after, there's a part of themselves that they're 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 dealing with. 
because we, we, everything we do say, think goes through the filter of our experience. And if we haven't dealt with certain aspects of our experience, we don't necessarily have the, the right tools to, to feel what we need to feel when something happens. Someone kills themselves and we go, we get, we get uncomfortable. We get scared because we know that if we're like them, we could do that too. Or, or we know someone and we go, oh man, if, if Anthony Bourdain could kill himself, who wants to stop my, my bipolar sister? Right. You know, and, and it's, it's just, it's fear. So much of, of why the world is the way it is right now is fear. Right. And instead of like, instead of trying to, to calm ourselves and think about why we are afraid, we react and that's why it's, you know, someone says something positive about Trump and, and they, oh, you're a crazy racist because you think he's a good president instead of going, okay, well, why do you, why do you support him? And going in at a, you know, at a logical, even keeled kind of way. Right. And yeah. So like with, with the, with the suicide stuff, that's, I think where, where people come at each other because they don't understand or they relate too closely to it. And they're scared. That makes sense. I mean, it's just it's just disheartening, though, because it's like yeah. in this conversation, and in the fact that it's even on top of people's mind, probably more than it ever has been, Thank even God. in my life. Um, and you would think people would come at it different. You would think so, but it's it's so un- we have so little information, even still with the numbers of people who really suffer from mental illness. And we don't have the support, um, in our healthcare for mental illness. People in therapy, you know, most people are paying cash to go to therapy and not everybody can afford that, you know? So it's uh, policy has to change and eventually it will. We're talking so much more about it than we were 50 years ago. Um, that policies are, are being, looked at now, you know, people are, doctors are going, we've got to figure out how to treat this better. We're working with insurance companies. Obviously they're making medications and they're trying, you know, not that those are always the right choice, but we have to take care of our mentally ill. And I, I feel like so many of the debates over different things would, would quell a little on their own because the problem would be getting solved from the root of it. You know, why are these gunmen doing what they're doing. Obviously we have to enact emergency policy to protect people from the weapons themselves, of course, you know? Um, and then, and, and that doesn't mean everybody loses their guns. It's, it's, we've got to, we've, we've got to be more figure, logical. We've got to be That's smart. How I feel. We've got to be smart about the way we're letting people purchase and, and own weapons. The other part of that though, is that we have to dig deeper in the mental illness and say, okay, what steps are we taking to make sure that people aren't going down this path of possible assassin or you know yeah just they just don't care they just yeah like what what can we do to you know and i think that the conversation about mental illness and unfortunately the suicides and even the backlash positive or negative we're talking same with me too same with um black lives matter if we're opening the conversation somebody's getting understanding. Somebody's learning something they didn't know and being able to process things in a different way that, that will lead to change. And, and I think that's like why it's so important for comics to not be afraid to say what they think 
what they feel, you know, because we have this platform to, to, to not enact change, but to, to invoke conversation, right? you know, and, uh, and people are going to react how they react. And I think, again, we just have to remember like, okay, but like you react, but I don't have to take it personally, you know? That's true. I mean, I, it's funny cause, um, it, it's just interesting. I mean, obviously people are different, but, yeah. um, there's certain things that I guess over the years that like in comedy, like I love all kinds of comedy, mm-hmm. but I also, I've seen myself kind of recently be like offended by something that I was like not offended by years ago. But because a conversation started and you started to understand where it was hurting other people, maybe not you directly. More awareness of it. Just more awareness. And, and that's okay. And we might, we might think that something we say is totally okay. And a year and a half later go, Oh, okay. I get why that hurt. Right. People were upset, you know, and, or we can go a year and a half later and go, no, I was justified. Like I was making a real point there and the people overreacted to it, whatever. But the awareness is always going to lead to growth. You know, I don't know if everyone's going to be woke someday, you know, and we're never going to offend and we're never, you know, um, offense does lead to conversation though. And offense does sometimes lead to change. That's positive. It hurts. Any change hurts. Any, anytime you're, you're mining for gold, you've got to put it through the fire, right? To burn off all the crap, the stuff that isn't gold, right? And the more it goes through the fire, the finer and more refined the gold gets, right? So like, yeah, our lives should always be an experience of like, I am uncomfortable with what's happening right now, but I know it's making the gold more refined each time I go through it, you know? That's all we can keep doing is just... Keep putting ourselves through the fire of thought and expression and offense and discomfort so that we can experience the joy, the, the, the euphoria, the excitement, the thrill. Like, we wouldn't have one without the other. <laughs> it's true. And I totally agree. It's just, it's interesting when you come to that debate in comedy or in, in the world about what is free speech and what is not. Right. Then it become people try to spin things and like there's certain words that I would prefer people not to say yeah. in all walks of life, not just comedy. Yeah. Obviously slurs are not right. my favorite. Right. Um but then people will say, But you didn't blink of eye when comic from this yesteryear said it and it's like Actually I did. Well yeah, I had to turn off I actually started watching a Richard Pryor set. Yeah. And it was I mean, it was like the first five minutes that he drops the N word about thirteen, fourteen times and yeah. I was like I go, I am not in a place where I can watch this right now. Like it was just it was just too much. I was like, I can't all I'm hearing is that and I'm not gonna be able to hear what he's saying. You know, and it's like maybe I need to be in a different mood or, or what what have you. But yeah, no, it's when, when I would watch, you know, I, there's certain older comics where it's like, oh, you know, my wife is such a dumb broad. Yeah. And I just, I'm like, nope, I can't, I can't enjoy that now because you're, you're just bashing a woman who like takes right. care of you. Um, there's you, as you grow as a person, yeah, you do definitely are put off by it, but you can still also respect the art for what it was then. 
Yeah, because I noticed that the other day I was actually watching D.L. Hughley's new one on Netflix. Oh, okay. And I find he's funny, Uh but I just, I guess personally, I just don't agree with the overuse of the N-word to make a point. Yeah. And he still kind of did it to be like, oh, you know, that whole, to try to demean the word is what or to or to numb you out over the word like the word doesn't have meaning unless you give it meaning the more you hear something or see something the more used to you used to it you get right and i understand that's your intention but But it's not yeah i have never i mean the movie django unchained i hated that movie just for the sheer fact that the dialogue ruined it it wasn't oh, the acting. Wow. It was it was because every other word in that was, was the N word. It was a little hard to take watching that. Um, I Even still, from I Samuel L. Jackson's character in that movie, you're like... It, it was almost more off-putting by him. Yeah, because you were like, that's not who you are as... We know who you are well, as a person. Watching it, though, like, it's... I think what... Like, I, I loved Django Unchained. I thought it was actually one of Quentin Tarantino's best movies. I liked the, Various Bastards better, but, you know... <laughs> that one was good too. Um, my my, and of course it was laden with the word. Yeah. Um, and for me, it was like I had to put myself in a kind of a headspace of this would have been the dialogue of the time. I guess to some degree, maybe that's what it was. And you know, so I don't have to be okay with it. I'm I, and I think part of it, Tarantino wasn't going for the effect of numbing you out. He wanted you to hate the word. Like, he wanted you to be uncomfortable with it the whole time because that's what he does. He takes you on that kind of journey. Um, And it did exactly what it was supposed to, which is why I could see the, the, like, for me, like, I went, okay, I see what he's doing. I also was kind of, it was kind of awkward for me because I'm half black. Right. And I saw it on Christmas Day with my parents. Oh, no. Thinking it was going to be a good movie. You're like, oh, so you're running it through the filter of your parents, probably. And, and so, like, like, like everything, your your offense is probably based on the personal connection to what you were hearing and seeing. Right. Like I, I don't have that same experience. So for me, I'm running it through whatever my filter is, and I'm looking at the, you know, I'm a, somehow able to not hear that. I guess. You right. Know. Now, and if I were to watch it again today, after having this conversation, I might be like, oh, wow. Yeah, this is, you know, this is hard. Well, because there was just certain scenes and certain times in that mm-hmm. flick that it wasn't necessary for the the, in, in, the effect of racism right. or whatever right. was happening in that right. period of time was still coming across loud and clear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You just need, you didn't need to use it every other word. I would agree. I mean, there's plenty of comedy. And you could say it once or twice within a sentence and the effect really gets through. Yeah. But when you, like, it, it just that movie bothered me for that. I guess it was I all it. the whole well, situation. Well, when I see, when I see exposed breasts in a film, there are times when I'm like, that isn't necessary. I don't need to see her naked to know that she's masturbating or, you know, and right. Well, that's a plot point. Her tits aren't, you know, but there are times when I see a scene done beautifully with nudity where I go, yeah, that scene wouldn't have been as good. Right. But there, yeah, it, it, for me, it's like, and I'll watch something and just be like, just, just tits everywhere. Like there's no reason for her tits to be out. That's true. You know, <laughs> like they're in a bar. Yeah, I'm you like, know, you, why? You're like, and it's a scene where they're just talking, and you're like, why is why like, is she why naked? Is she naked? All yeah, of a sudden. like, you know. And then there are times when, when for the tone of the movie, it just makes sense, and there's like a positive. It's done in a way that it's actually positive and beautiful. Like, don't be yeah. ashamed of the body. Um, but yeah, I exploiting 
you know, using the exploitation of like the the breasts just to just to show them, just to be like, ooh, alluring. Like, How far just, can we, we take this? Right yeah, we don't need that. Um, the movie Hostel for me was one of those. Like that was horror porn porn. So it wasn't just horror porn; it was also <laughs> porn. So it was just this. And for me, to me, that type of movie is unwatchable because it is well, just... Well, because it, it takes away from the, the plot or whatever. I feel like it did. I feel like it was just like, okay, so this is just to get everyone's dick hard, whether they're into the horror of it or tits. Like, yeah. any parts for the ladies? No? Okay, great. Yeah. You know, it was, it was for me. So I get like, and I'm running that through, of course, my own filter of my life, which includes things that might have affected that, you know? Right. But it is it is interesting and I think I I love the idea that comedy can make people think and make people Well that's the other reason why I love it as a yeah. form. Yeah. Because it does you laugh but then you're like why am I laughing? And then it takes that layer mm-hmm. of like, What is it about that that was because so funny? Mm-hmm. It's what's funny is that my boyfriend and I differ on what makes something funny. He Oh yeah. He has a whole t- he he thinks he's funny <laughs> but he's 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 not. Nice. But but that doesn't mean he's not, right? Cause, right. Because he thinks he's funny. Well, and, and like, because comedy is so subjective, it's like a comedy contest is never going to be fair. Yeah. That's... Because the people judging it have their own idea of what is funny. And you yeah. might not be it. You might be 85% of the rest of the audience's idea of funny. But there's the 15% that are judging you, you know, that, are, that have the marks where they go, eh, I don't like him. I like the dude with the puppet. And it's like, well, that, that dude just won. Right. That's It's subjective, but... We all have the ability to say something. We all have the ability to get up and and throw a little bit of, of discussion out there or understanding into the world, you know. And we can also get up there and be like, I I just want to say some foul shit right, <laughs> up here and, and get a reaction. And if that's your thing, that's your thing, you know. There's going to be an audience for almost anyone. Well, it's just funny because... Sometimes I wonder if people who don't, I mean, obviously it is subjective, but it's just interesting. Sometimes you, you'll listen to somebody and you'll be like laughing your ass off. Mm-hmm. Then you listen to another person and you're like, well, this is funny. Like you but respect I'm not, it and you're like, it doesn't barrel me over. Yeah. No. And then, yeah. and then you couldn't be, I've done this where I've put on a comedy special on Netflix. My boyfriend will walk in the room and I'll be rolling mm-hmm. and he'll just be like dead stare, blank stare yeah. going, yeah. I don't understand why you're watching this. I know, I know, I get it. It's it's just it's just it's just funny to me how how different we are when it comes to, and sometimes I have to tell myself, well, we all just obviously it's subjective, but also our brains are wired. Our brains, are, we are all individuals. Like I, I mean, how often have you gone to a restaurant and everyone at the table ordered the same thing? Yeah, that doesn't happen. We yeah. all have opinions about everything. We have different tastes, and thank God we do. Yeah. It, you know, if we were all boring. the same, what would be the point of this? Yeah. You know? And the fact that we get a, that people are offended by this thing and, and not offended by this thing, or, or you weren't offended at this point in your life, but fast forward and now you are, that's growth. That's changed. My taste buds have changed over the years, so why wouldn't I expect my mind and opinions to? Right. And that is all through experience. If I hadn't tasted this food and given it another shot later, I never would have known that all of a sudden I like it. You know, um, if if I block someone because I don't like their opinion on Facebook, um, doesn't mean that in a year and a half 
I wouldn't know that either they had changed their mind about something or they had made a point strong enough for me to reflect on my own thoughts on it. And then all of a sudden it's like, I wouldn't have grown without, you know, so you can't, you have to continue to expose yourself to the different things and the different comedy, different art, different food, different people. Um, that's how we grow. Yeah. Well, that's, that's a, that's how we should end. Yeah. Because it, we've already, we've already gone down time. <laughs> um, I don't want to keep you too long. And No, no, no. That sounded good. That sounds good. I um, think that's. So, obviously, I'll put the links up in the description, but where okay. can people find you um, come you see you? You can find me. Um, I'm uh, amyblackwellcomedy.com, uh, and you can link to my Instagram, uh, Twitter, Facebook, what have you. You can send me a message on there. Um, and then, I'm not sure, when when is this going to go out? Probably as soon as I can. I don't know. The, some Maybe this week. This week. Weekend, okay. Um, well, if, if it goes out before Halloween, I've got Comedy Chops at House of Comedy here in Phoenix at 7.30. Tickets are 10 bucks. It's a really fun show. Yes. Kind of like Chopped on the Food Network. Yes. But with comedy. Oh, so, I love Chopped. So, Mystery Topics. Yeah. Uh, it's really fun. And so, that goes down on, on Halloween night. Then again, December 5th, also at House of Comedy. Otherwise, I'm up in Vegas. I'm headlining the Klondike Casino uh, December 15th. Awesome. And I have some comps, so people going to reach out to me. I can get them comped for that show. Awesome. If they're going to be in Vegas around that time. But otherwise, you know, just check the website. I've got different dates all the time. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for doing this. I <laughs> Thanks appreciate Thanks for it. having me. It's been fun. All right.